this week's major spoilers podcast. <laughs> Three, <laughs> two, yeah. one. This week's major spoilers podcast is brought to you by Thomas Perkins. Thomas Perkins, shout out. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, will Captain Jack make it to the States? Will Slim Summers bite the big Twinkie? Will Steven finally give up on this whole Dick Wayne, Tim Wayne, Damian Wayne shtick? No! And what about, <laughs> and what about Naomi? Plus, Pete Rasputin and Joe Nah want to know whose girlfriend you like better, and since they can both crush steel with their bare hands, I'd choose wisely. Plus, this just in, former Captain America's Jeffrey Mace, William Naslin, Lot Roscoe, and Steve Rogers the first are still frickin' dead, and they ain't getting no miniseries resurrections either, so just choke on that, slap nuts. Also, it was raining in Indigo City that night. A hard rain. Hard enough to wash the slime off the sidewalks, but never hard enough to wash all the blood that fills the gutters of Indigo. This is my city. And Frank Miller ain't come here to ruin it yet like he did with that other masked guy. Indigo City's my town. They call me Gray Shirt. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air! Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad to have you here this week. Joining welcome us in all of our tomfoolery and comic book discussions. And a little bit of pop culture thrown in for fun. Would you say that this is more tomfoolery or is this Tommy Rot? Well, I thought maybe it was either going to be tomfoolery or shenanigans. This could be hogwash. And sometimes monkey shines thrown in. There are some monkey, monkey shines. shines. Yes. Monkey shines and hogwash. Yes. Let's... I think that's what we should name the show now, Monkey Shines and Hogwash. <laughs> hey, hey, everyone. the morning <laughs> soup with monkey shines and hogwash. The dingo ate your baby. <laughs> 5.55 a.m. here on the big rock of Fort Hayes State, five minutes past the big hour, five o'clock. Okay, moving right along into our news. This week, we're spinning the Wheel of Destiny one more time. We've got four choices to spin from as we start the wheel of going. Will it be One Will Die, a new X-Men teaser? Will it be Com Cobra Commander gets a new look? Will it be Jason Momoa is Conan? Or will it be the U.S. version of Torchwood Plan for Firefox? And it's coming around and around... And around. Landing on number four, the U.S. version of Torchwood planned for Fox Networks. Now, uh, the word on the street is... Word spelled W-U-R-D. That's right. Over the U. Yes. If you're wondering what Russell T. Davis word? has been up to since leaving Doctor Who, the answer seems to be that he's moved to Hollywood and he's taking Torchwood with him. At least Fox has plans to develop a uh, pilot for the Torchwood series... Uh, for Fox Television. Now, the good thing about this is he's also bringing along the producers of the series, and my guess is the actors are free at the moment, so maybe they can come along too. Rodrigo, what do you think of Torchwood, and what do you think about a U.S. version of that? Is this going to be an alternate Torchwood? Is, or I is think it it's a continue? continuation. It's going to continue. I don't think it's going to be set in Los Angeles. Who knows? I mean, they could really set it any place after the destruction of Torchwood. I would just be curious as to the, the specifics of that. You know, I'm not like, oh, I hope Doctor Who shows up necessarily. <laughs> Although it would be cool if he did. Um, I'm just saying. But 
you know, that's mostly my concern is, you know, is this going to be an American version of Torchwood in which, you know, there's uh, four Can American guys American and one again, British American. Markin. <laughs> Markin. Yeah. There was a, I saw actually speaking of British shows, I saw this uh, show when uh, they were talking. This was, you know, an old episode and they were talking about President Bush. And I was like, I wonder why every time he talks, he kind of introduces himself as a crotch toupee. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, every time he walks in, he says, hi, I'm George W. Bush. I'm American. <laughs> oh, in any case, um, I would just Good be- night, everybody. Good night. I'm just curious as to how it's going to fit into the Torchwood continuity. Okay. Matthew, thoughts, reactions, liking it, not liking it, trepidations. I, I am cautiously optimistic, but I would like to point out what happened the last time the Doctor Who Mythos and Fox Network got together. Yeah, we got the we ninth had, Doctor. We had, no, we got the eighth Doctor. We and got we the eighth also Doctor. Got a, the Master played by Eric Roberts and a motorcycle chase through San Francisco and a few things that to this day don't make a lick of sense. We got so, the eighth Doctor. Know, <laughs> Look, if if you're gonna be a poser, <laughs> which one's the eighth least, doctor? Is the eighth doctor like the long-haired guy? That's the one that appeared. Yeah, in the he's a Victorian guy, guy looking, Victorian-looking yeah. guy with the That's ascot right. and the nice smoking jacket. Yep. Not to be confused with the tall, puffy-haired white guy with the smoking jacket, or the little old man with the Victorian uh, little ascot thing. Gotcha. Or the guy he, that plays cricket. Right. He's the one with the long hair. Uh, if you ever see him in his comic strip appearances, his hair takes on a life of its own, and it's freaking weird. Nice. Mm-hmm. But back to the point at hand, I think part of the reason that Torchwood was such a wonder was John Barrowman. Right. And I'm not entirely sure. John Barrowman on a British television show is an American guy in a British you know, thing. Well, I won't say American. He was born in the uk and i think he lives in the uk but yeah but he plays an american right and he has an american accent whereas john barrowman in an american accent surrounded by other american accents may not be the same thing now don't get me wrong i think jack harkness is a great character well there is rumors that he might star in the in the pilot so Hmm. there's some i think they could pull it off i i think there's a problem in that there have been a great many shows that Especially in America, remind me a little bit of the Torchwood over a uh, X X Files, mm-hmm. Fringe, Lost could kind of be put in that same schmageggy. I mean, uh, what is it? Flash Forward, Millennium. Yeah, I think there's kind of a you know there might be a danger that Torchwood in America, stripped of the Doctor Who connection, stripped of a lot of the things that make it fascinating. In theory, I guess I you know I have no idea what they're planning to do with the show. And Russell Davis did create Torchwood to begin with. Right. You know, so it, I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I always was, have a problem with – I hated the American version of Life on Mars. I thought I, I, that had some fun – you know, there were some fun moments in that. Hmm. Uh, I will say know? this. One of my favorite shows of all time is an American adaptation of a British show. Who wants and to that's Sanford and Son. Sanford and Son, <laughs> Sanford and Son <laughs> is an Americanization of a show called Steptoe and Son. And to this day, I don't go 24 hours without calling somebody a big white dummy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it could be wonderful. I think it could be wonderful. I hope it is wonderful. I think the problem that's going on right now is, of course, with Fringe, like you mentioned, and the X-Files. There's a lot of that mm-hmm. in, in the Torchwood series. 
as and we call it in my house, Fenerg. The, the, the best part about it is, though, that people who are not familiar with Doctor Who aren't going to go, this is a Doctor Who thing, I'm not watching that. Instead, they're going to go, oh, that's an X-Files thing? I like that show. I watched this. Well, and, and we had kind Americans of discussed that before. Wait, he's gay? Oh, no, I'm turning this off. We had we had kind of discussed that before that when the X-Files went off the air, really before the X-Files went off the air because nobody was watching it by right, the time right. it went off the air. Yeah. Um, there was a big hole in primetime TV for that kind of supernatural drama. Right. And Fringe just tried to fill it. But, you know, I mean, it's still going, right? Yeah, for now. So, yeah. You know, it's it's doing it must be doing okay, but there is a space for some new show to come in and take over as the new X Files, even if it's not X Files like at all. Just kind yeah. of the new science fiction thing that people say, Whoa, that's like something out of Torchwood or something like that, you know? Yeah. Well, I can oh. see that. All right. You can find uh these and many more news stories over at Majorspoilers.com. I don't like By the way, I'm five minutes late to say this, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're going to be right back after this little quick check to make sure that all the particles stuck where they're supposed to stick. How to get a Major Spoilers shout-out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, Click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Hey, really quick, we did give a shout out to uh, Thomas Perkins up at the top of the hour when he submitted his contribution Two major spoilers, he'd left this little note. He says, as always, nice work, guys. Young Schleicher noted that the Saturday show, and during his Saturday show, that he does some six or so podcasts other than major spoilers and critical hit. What might they be? I'm always looking for a good podcast to listen to as I endeavor to produce more of the Saturday morning animated goodies for the masses. Thanks again, Thomas Perkins. And Thomas Perkins, if you do want to know, he is an animator. If you've watched uh, the Green Lantern movie. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you've seen some of his character work in that. Cool. Uh, I forget what else. I went and did cool. a little search on him and found out that he goes, animation for the masses. Let me double check this out. So, yeah, cool. Thomas Perkins, thanks for listening. Now, nice. I do a couple other podcasts. Of course, major spoilers. We do a Tuesday and a Saturday show. We do right. Critical Hit. There's three. We do, uh, I do the Coolness Roundup, which is a kind of a technology show, consumer technology show that I do with my long friend. Oh, yeah. Charlie White. And then we have a show that's kind of like a BS show where we just kind of talk about general topics and our thoughts and ideas on those called The Coolness Lounge. Those are five shows. And then there is a sixth but but yet named secret podcast that I've been doing since the top of the top of the year. If you can find it, more power to you. That's all I will say about it at this time. I bet I know what it's called. What's it called? I bet it's never mind. It's the Schleicher Biker Beat. Yes, that TSTVs is TSTVs and the men who love them. No, that would be your show, Matthew. Stephen, All right, Stephen so Schleicher. thank you so much for uh, contributing, Thomas, and we look forward to seeing your work in the near future as well. Word. Hey, was that a shot at me? What? No. Have you not been you doing work? Sh- hey. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about some reviews. Actually, Matthew does have a review this week in the show. Review. <laughs> 
screw you, Steven. <laughs> I want to hear. I, I want to hear all about Captain America and his um, Scott. Uh, what's his name? Um, Pilgrim. B- B- Billy Pilgrim's uh, tripping through time. Billy Scott Pilgrim. Yes. Well, uh, you may want to know about it, but you ain't gonna get it. What? Captain America. I thought he was back in like. I thought he was Let back and wearing the red, white, and blue. Captain America number 602. This is Captain America roughly number 54. Um, <laughs> yeah, Steve Rogers is back somewhere, somehow, but we won't know about that until next week. Hmm. And nonetheless, right now, this book, yeah, <laughs> this book is not about Steve Rogers. It's not? Is it about, uh, is about one-armed, the Cap- one-armed guy? Bucky Barnes. Yeah, Bucky Barnes. Right now, there are two men. Wearing the mantle of Captain America. What? This is supposed to happen what? after Captain America dies. You get all these people come out and say, I'm Captain America. No, I no, am Captain America. No, I'm, I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Captain America. I'm a, I'm a clone of, of Captain America. Well, I'm a robot Captain America from the future. Well, I'm a Captain America who doesn't actually come from America. <laughs> in Some any kind of case, alien egg that are, turns into Captain America? <laughs> in any case, there are two men. Currently walking the earth, calling themselves Captain America. Uh-huh. Some of you think you know which I'm talking about. Of course, the first is James Buchanan Barnes, yes, formerly Bucky of the Liberty Legion, and the other Captain America, of course, is William Burnside from Boise, Idaho. Oh man, I loved his work in the Civil War. Wow, this is the point where you say what? Wh- what? Thank you. What Steve you Rogers about? currently is not a factor in this particular book, and what we start this book out is. You may remember a few months ago, the Red Skull brought the 1950s Captain America out of uh, suspended animation. The crazy Captain America, the commie-smashing Looney Tune national director set Sharon Carter on fire and let her burn to death Captain America. Hmm. Any of this ringing a bell? No, because no, I don't read Captain Steven America. Steven doesn't read Marvel, Rodrigo too young? <laughs> All right. Well, no, I, know about, I know about I, – I, I, uh, I didn't know that – because that character had kind of been retconned into a Looney Tune because of the time that he was written, that was what people wanted to see in comics, right? Killing to, commies? To some degree, yeah. But it, it didn't actually happen until the 60s, and I'm going to mm. go off on a tangent here. When Stan Lee surprise, brought Cap back in surprise, 1960, surprise. let's say four, Okay. they said that he was frozen in 1944, which is when the original Captain America series would have ended, give or take. problem that we have is that it came back for a while, it was Captain America's Weird Tales, and then after that, it was revived in the 50s as Captain America, but it was a commie-smashing Captain America. Was that what it's called? The com- Captain America commie-smasher? Commie sm- That's exactly what it was called. But the communists were the big schmageggy. They were the thing. And I use the word schmageggy a lot, and I, by the way, I use it wrong because I think it means an unpleasant person, neither here nor there. That's a digression during my digression. That Captain America eventually was brought back in... In the 70s at Marvel, it was hip to tie up all the knots in a character's history, mm-hmm. and they brought him back. That character has been running around ever since the Red Skull assassinated Steve Rogers and tried to bring him back as a Captain America under the Red Skull's control. Mm-hmm. Both Captain Americas were out of his control, and 50s Cap, we're going to call him Bad Cap, has been running around and has ended up in his old hometown in Idaho. And has hooked up with kind of an underground militia group. Um, and it's actually very topical because this militia is against the government and the socialists and all of these people and them 
them bleeding heart liberals and how we need to get back to, you know, all the stuff that those of you who grow up in the Midwest hear pretty much on a daily basis from somebody. And he is hooked up with the watchdogs who are sort of a down home grassroots militia and Bucky Barnes and Sam Wilson track him down and they come up with this brilliant plan. And there are, there are three problems with this plan, which I'll get to in a moment, but their plan is they're going to infiltrate the watchdogs and sneak up on bad cap and figure out what's going on. Well, Bucky being a man of the fifties comes up with this perfect plan to get in good with these liberal types or these liberal hating types. He has Sam, the Falcon come in, pretend to be from the IRS He's a government man. Not only that, he's a government man who is – I don't necessarily want to not, put a racial not white. on this. Not white. Non-Caucasian, yes. There you go. And he's speaking extremely intellectually and he's telling these people you know, that you will, you will be paying and you are subject to taxes. You cannot ignore your audit. And of course, everybody is up in arms and Bucky punches him in the face and throws him out of the bar and says, real Americans don't need you. Don't forget your briefcase, Obama. Now, on the one hand, I ouch. like that topical reference. I like ouch. the way he worked that in. On the other hand, ouch. Yeah. Um, Bucky ends up getting in good. And, of course, the other men, the watchdogs, catch him. And they're like, hey, we got a proposition for you. You want a job? Do, well, they, the not issue notice, is, do they not notice his big steel arm and wonder what's up with that? He's wearing a jacket. Oh, okay. Nick Fury uh, got him a new steel arm. And it's now got a flesh covering, so he can go ah, undercover. Okay, like a it's Terminator at the beginning of the issue. Yeah, like a Terminator. And at the end of the issue, these two guys are like, "Hey, we got a new recruit," and they show Bad Cap a picture of the new recruit. Now, remember how I said there's three problems with this? Mm-hmm. Let's take a step back. Bad Cap fought Captain America and Sam Wilson in the seventies. Bad Cap knows Sam Wilson by sight. Two. Bad Cap is an extremely paranoid Looney Tune. And three, Bad Cap so idolized Captain America that he initially, when he became Captain America in the 50s, got facial reconstructive surgery to look just like Steve Rogers and got a kid to get facial reconstructive surgery to look exactly like James Buchanan Barnes. Uh Uh-oh. So the last word of this issue is, I know this guy. Well, effing duh. Nice. So that's kind of a plot hole for me. I'm sure it will be addressed. Brubaker is good about stuff like that, but that bothers me. We end with a little page of, um, do you remember the girl from Counter-Earth who used to be Bucky? Yeah. Rob yeah. Liefeld, Bucky? Yeah. She's now on, on regular 616 Earth. Yeah, she has she's been for a while. On her Nomad. And she has a variation of the Nomad costume and a shield, and she's running around New York and getting used to life and fighting alongside Aranya, the uh, the Spider Girl. Mm-hmm. And what it really does for me is remind me how Marvel has dozens and dozens of heroes that are essentially fetishized teenage girls in the tights that belong to grown men. Mm-hmm. And I start to wonder whose fetish this is, because I don't know if you guys are familiar with the new Scorpion who is a little teenage girl in the costume of an old man. Well, you know, uh, uh, Marvel like did get bought by Disney, who for years has run uh, a series of films that feature teenage girls mm-hmm. in, in outfits. Yes, that but not teenage think. girls dressing up in the costumes of older men. Oh, no, probably specifically not. Specifically taking on a teenage girl taking on the role 
of a grown man hero and or yeah. villain costume character. Well, there's that but that's Mulan neither here nor there. You know, yeah. There's not a whole lot going on in the Nomad. It's you know, it's part one of a thingy. Not good, not bad. It's it's okay. It's definitely you know worth your time. The art's a little funny, but. The first story has those issues. That one thing that feels like such a plot hole for me is how are you going to sneak up on a guy who knows your face well enough that he made some random kid wear it? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this this to me is an issue that I hope they address. But overall, it's good. I'm frustrated that they haven't addressed anywhere what happens to Steve Rogers in the past which is now still a week in our future at the point where Steve Rogers returns because this takes place after the end of Reborn. So obviously Bucky is going to remain, at least for a while, the active Captain America, but nobody has said anything. We know it's going to happen. You know, my problems with Cap are the series is called Captain America Reborn. So we knew it was going to happen. I'm just a little frustrated at what's going on here. I'm going to say... It all kind of evens out in the wash. Two and a half slices of meatloaf overall. It's got some good art. You know, it's got some nice continuity touches. Mm-hmm. This particular issue, more than any in recent memory, reminds me that more and more comics are a niche market for guys who already know everything about the continuity. Yeah. Because this is the story well, of. You know, Captain America's old sidekick has grown up to become Captain America, and he's teamed up with Captain America's other old sidekick, and they're going to take down a guy who was Captain America for seven issues in the 50s. And, you know, it's it's all very, very self-referential, not in a bad way necessarily, but in a way that feels kind of insular and kind of – it doesn't seem to relate to – the mainstream stuff at Marvel right now, the end of Dark Reign, the siege, the blah blah this feels like it's off in its own little corner and it doesn't even answer the questions from its own previous arc. So Do you think was it kind I- of a was it kind of a bait and switch that you're you know it's Captain America reborn but you still haven't seen Steve Rogers it, come back? It might be considered that by some. I didn't necessarily want to see Steve back yet. I like James Barnes as Cap. I like the new blood you know, Lord help me, I even like the, the, the Alex Ross costume that they've got Bucky running around in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot to like here. And I like the fact that we're going to see more than just, you know, a year of Bucky to fill in the blanks while Steve was off on sabbatical. But I'm bothered by the fact that, you know what they say, six months from now, the trades will be out. Everybody will know how it ended. They won't realize that this issue came out during the whole mess. Yeah. All they'll know is there was that arc, and then there was this arc, and then there was this arc. So historically, it probably won't matter. But right now in the moment, I have some irritants with the balance. I have some irritants with the pacing. And I, I, I do have a problem with you know accepting that this really is, as much as anything since the 70s, one of those let's fill in the blanks of what may have happened to characters in between the panels of stories we've already read. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Well. Thank you, Matthew, for that. Yeah, welcome. And Rodrigo, you're reviewing something from Vertigo. This is issue number one, right? That's right. Came out a week or so ago. I think so. Um, or, you know, sometime in the future since it's the March issue. Aha. Um, this is Joe the Barbarian number one from Vertigo. And I can't wait. This guy does the whole uh, 
uh, heavy metal thing where he has a dream and he gets zapped to a different <laughs> planet, and then all of a sudden it's John Candy going, look at the size of my wiener. Yeah, pretty much. I'm not walking no. around with my dork hanging out. <laughs> wow. That's two times in one day. Um, no. <laughs> 13 years of nothing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, Joe the Barbarian, written by Grant Morrison, uh, drawn by Sean Murphy. Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Grant Murphy. Oh wait, are we are we past Grant Morrison now? Um, and and I'll tell you something. Like I I was flipping through it, and there was this uh this little thing, um, kind of like the letter section, or you know where they kind of announce what's coming up in Vertigo. Right. And it had a description of Joe the Barbarian as like. White hot, white hot writer Grant Morrison follows up his phenomenal Batman and Robin with an epic adventure accompanied by To Die For Art. And it just kind of confused me to begin with because I was like, is this a spinoff of Batman? No, it shouldn't be. It's it's not. Um, and then I was further confused by the fact that Batman's in it. What? Um, in a Vertigo book? That's right. Well, it's a DC property. They can it's, use it. Uh, and, you know, uh, again, I was just flipping through it. So I was like, oh, weird. This must be a Batman spinoff. But... Um, Joe the Barbarian is a story of Joe. He's a kid who likes to draw and is pretty insular. His dad's dead and he doesn't like him. Um, I think he might be angry at him because he died. You know, it happens. Oh, sure. Um, he gets picked on by bullies. Um, girl, There's a girl who likes him, apparently, but he's just kind of off in his own world and doesn't pay attention. Um, eventually, he goes back home. And he's, like, not feeling well, and then all of a sudden, like, the world goes bonkers, and he finds himself in this weird planet or land or something. Tell me that's not the same story that we see in Heavy Metal. Uh, well, nobody's naked in this one. <laughs> okay. Um, and then he yeah, gets... Does he have to go rescue he, a princess? Are there pages much, of boobies bouncing around? Well, here's the deal. He gets zapped to this other world... And then he comes right back. And then he's like trying to figure out. And it looks like he's kind of like lethargic as he's like moving around. And then all of a sudden, like he's trying, he writes something out. He says, Danger Hypo. And like the, the title of this first issue is Hypo or, or the first chapter. Um, And then all of a sudden he gets zapped back and there's all these cool guys like there's all these army men and santa claus and some dinosaur robot and an actual dinosaur and lobos in the background and batman and robin and the gray ghost are there and stuff I believe there's a character like septimus alpha or something that sounds yeah it's kind ultimus of ultimus alpha is there phantom stranger is he also there um this guy who was... i thought was the gray ghost might be phantom Stranger. no there's dick there's a guy who looks like dick tracy except his trench coat is blue Right. Um, and there's like Master Chief on a little Halo uh thing there. Yeah, on a warthog or whatever. Yeah. It's all these super cool guys who are references to other things, uh, except for, you know, the actual DC guys who are just them. Actual um, DC guys. Right. And a, a couple of teddy bears who have had who are like um homeless because their homes were destroyed. And then like he wakes up and he finds all of his toys, and all his toys are actually these things that were around him. Right. And then that's the end of the issue. Um, what the F? 
it's pretty confusing. And, like, what I was most confused by is the fact that he goes over there and comes back and then goes back. You know? Like, maybe he jumped to a third yeah. world. Uh, you know maybe. what? Maybe. I kind of wondered. If he had a stroke? <laughs> uh-huh. If there's not something very wrong with his brain and he's not hallucinating the whole thing. Yeah, that's, I think... Are we talking about Joe the Barbarian or are we talking about Grant Morrison? Uh-huh. Shut um, up. <laughs> so, that was confusing. I'm not entirely sure what the deal is. Um, but let's talk about the art. The art is fantastic. It is amazing. Yeah, and... we ran some preview pages up on Major Spoilers a couple of, maybe a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. I am a huge fan of this guy, Sean Murphy, now, apparently. Um, There is one, two, pretty much three pages of Joe, um, one, is almost four pages of Joe walking into and through his house to go up to his room in the, excuse me, uh, in the attic, and it's amazing, it's gorgeous. Wow, cool. The uh the proportions are perfect, the perspective is perfect. Um I like the character design, I like the expressions on the characters. It's it's all very evocative. Um at times it looks a little bit like a gorilla's video, which I'm into. Um and it's just you know, it, it's great. I'm and obviously, when he goes to this other world, the art style changes a little bit. But the the way that the toys, all these other characters are created, um, is kind of in the same style as the people. So they look realistic within this style, which is not completely realistic. It's just a really, really interesting, interesting art style. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. Cool. I think it's a little confusing, but the art really really makes it for me. Um, I'm going to go with probably three slices of meatloaf and it, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it'll get even better from here. Um, lots of good creative uses of even, you know, kind of comic book paneling and language um, mm-hmm. as, as early as the first page is pretty fantastic. Very, very cool, Rodrigo. Thank you so much for that. Um, who's got their comic book database open really quick? Or maybe Ooh, you know me, this. me, me. Can you look up uh, Derek Friedolfs? F-R-I-D-O-L-F-S. F-R-I-D-O-L-F-S. F-R-I-D-O-L-F-S? F-R-I-D-O-L-F-S. Spells relief. I do not find Derek Friedolfs. Really? Okay. Derek, D-E-R-E-K. I wanted to see if he did anything with... I wanted to see if he did anything with Gotham Central. Um, showing he did Tales of the Vampire with Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. Aries with uh, Michael Oming. Um, did some angel work. I don't think so. I okay. think he may have worked on uh, part of the Heart of Hush storyline is what it says. Oh, okay. Well, maybe that's where I saw his work before, but mm-hmm. this week I'm, I'm reading Batman Streets of Gotham number eight. Uh, it's written by Mark Benson, art by Dustin Wynn, with the inks by Derek Friedolfs or Friedolfs. Um, and, you know, of course I love Dustin Wynn's work. We feature him all the time, at least once a month, up in the Art Appreciation moment of the uh, Art Appreciation uh, section of the <laughs> site. 
And as I read through this issue, I keep constantly being struck with the idea that, man, a lot of this art just feels and reminds me of that first Greg Rucka run of Gotham Central that mm-hmm. we read and reviewed a few months ago on the show. The story is a great mystery. Um, here are all these criminals, low-end to mid-range criminals, safe crackers, those kinds of things that are getting killed, getting killed kind of in a brutal way. Some of them really getting fingers cut off, some of them getting almost sliced completely in half, mm. uh, just terrible things happening to them. And, of course, Commissioner Gordon needs some help from Batman, not knowing that it's uh, that it's Dick Wayne or Dick Grayson, depending <laughs> on which way you want to go. Um and so they're discussing this matter of, oh, do we need to keep this quiet? We need to hunt down this guy and find him. And I think one of the most striking replies from Batman in this issue is, do we really need to? This guy's kind of helping us out, isn't he? Hmm. And uh, so thus begins this quest to try to connect all of these low lives together and who might actually be trying to kill them. Interestingly, all of them have a card on them that uh, leads the Dark Knight detective to a gentleman's club if you want to call it um it is where any kind of perversion is accepted and and carried out to Hmm. an extent maybe not the hard bondage s&m stuff uh that rodrigo's into but at least what (laughs) that's the second time you made a reference to someone else's perversions well and i just always bring mine out quite a bit cheerleader (laughs) oh yeah that's not a perversion that's like normal Uh, So anyway, in order to get into this club, instead of busting it in as Batman, he goes undercover as, of course, Rich Playboy, hooks up with a girl who might be able to satisfy his curious needs that um, apparently some of these other people had a perversion to, Mm -hmm. and they go back to her room, and or her hotel room, not the same club, and we end the issue with somebody breaking in to their room with a gun. We don't know if it's the killer if it's the jealous ex-boyfriend that has an altercation out in front of the club with uh, with Dick and, and the uh, and the girl, uh, but it's really a, I think it's an interesting story in the setup, and I love you know I I think some people read Batman and they're really into the action and the pow and how can we bring in the wildest craziest rogues gallery that we can mm-hmm. in every issue, and if it's not that then it's not worth reading, right? Yep. I like the detective story where Batman's actually using his brains and. S- opposed to his wi- uh, to his muscle, which, uh, you know, some people like Matthew may not care for because it's at the whim of the writer as to how powerful Batman can be. Um, in this case, we're seeing Batman use his brains and try to solve a mystery, and I like that. Um, the backup story features Manhunter as she's trying to prosecute Harvey Two-Face Dent. Harvey wants to represent himself, and, of course, the new uh, Dr. Arkham in charge of Arkham Asylum has convinced the court and everyone else that uh, as long as Harvey has a coin that's not defaced, he stays in Harvey mode. Mm -hmm. And if he has a coin that's defaced on one side, then he goes into two-face mode where he's schizophrenic and unpredictable. Um, So this issue really is Manhunter trying to convince, um, and I forget who this character is, but she's totally flayed. Her skin is all ripped from her. They just call her Jane Doe. She's just muscle. And um, Manhunter is trying, well, uh, in the guise of her um, district attorney real-life persona, uh, she's trying to convince Jane Doe to turn evidence against Harvey Dent. Well, by issue's end, Jane Doe is taken down to Harvey Dent's cell, and he's like, hey, I've got a proposition for you. So 
we kind of are left hanging as to what's going to happen in this kind of a court case. You might like this one, Rodrigo, because it's kind of um, law and order. Yeah. And I know you're a big fan of law and order. And so I think the Manhunter series overall might be right up your alley because it's got a little superhero thrown in. She's going around the law when the law doesn't work. And, uh, and of course, a lot of the, the crime and law court aspect of it as well. I love Dustin's artwork. I love the inks. Again, the whole art and ink work remind me of the Gotham City PD. I love the story that's going on. I was about to drop Gotham or uh, Batman Streets of Gotham, but this one's renewed me and kept me around for just a little longer. Uh, so as far as the Batman story goes, the main feature, loving it, giving it four out of five slices of meatloaf. Backup story, I was never a big fan of Manhunter, and if you're not reading the backup stories, it's probably only your loss if you uh, are missing those eight pages. What really, I guess, kind of bothers me about what DC has done with these backup stories is sometimes they put an ad right before the story begins, before the backup story. So I get to the end of the Batman story, and it says, to be continued, and then I look over and I see an ad for Green Lantern. I'm like, okay, that's the end of the issue. And thinking that the next two or three pages are just going to be another set of house ads or letters page or something like that. And so I've skipped over, in, in some cases, these backup stories. I don't know if that's happened to you, Matthew, or... If you've experienced some of the kind of weirdness in, in placing the story, I know in the um, detective comics, they try to not do that with the question in the Batwoman story so that they're on the same facing page. So you're not making that mistake. But that's kind of troublesome. Um, like I said, not a big fan of the Manhunter story. It is a solid story, though. So I'm going to give that four out of uh, five slices of meatloaf. So overall, the entire issue gets a four out of five slices of meatloaf rating from me. So there you go. Hmm. Cool. You can you can find these and many other reviews over at Majorspoilers.com. Over the last couple of days, or this past week, I should say, we've really focused on some of the independent titles. So we've got a great dueling review up this week from uh, Blue Water Productions of the upcoming Logan's Run series, which Matthew, I think, just kind of fell in love with. Um, we've got the new Rassel story that's out there. <laughs> We've got, who else do we got? we got Power Girl. She's not really from a third party, but we've got plenty, plenty, plenty of reviews to keep you reading over at Majorspoilers.com. All right, Matthew, reviews are over. And that means it's time. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Major Spoilers presents the Tag Team Champion. Wait, that's not right. Poll of the Week! <laughs> All right, this week, this was a, what? This week, this is a Matthew suggestion, so Matthew, I'll break it down, or you give us the setup for our uh, fight out this week. Break it down. Well, it's another one of our classic superhero sort of, hey, who'd win in a fight, Uh, Batman or, I don't know, Aunt May? And Cookie I Monster. Heard, uh, you know, I started Batman's about been dead niche. at least once now. Aunt May has not died, so... Yeah. Aunt May has died four times. <laughs> Aunt May has died... Don't, don't you laugh at me. <laughs> Please, go ahead, with, go ahead with, go ahead went, with our, our poll of the week this week. Oh, sorry. I started thinking about the nature of intangibility. And started thinking about that being kind of an interesting power. And, of course... When you think about comic book fights, you, of course, have to couch it in terms of the big two. And, of course, the big two do have two big things that define them. On the DC side, there's pretty much Superman and the Legion of Superheroes. And on the Marvel side, there's, what do they call them? 
the Y Men, something like that. Some, something like that. Know, some alienated kids. And each team pretty much has the same guys on it Feral Lad and Colossus, Wolverine and Timberwolf. And there's a lot of parallels, but one of the most obvious parallels for me, Kitty Pride, who calls herself Ariel and Phantasm and Shadow Cat and certain other names that are lame. And, of course, Phantom Girl, who is a, a wonderful, sweet, nice young lady with pigtails from the, the planet Bug Tussle. So I wanted to see Kitty Pride, Phantom Girl, round one fight. Rodrigo. Um, Representing the X-Men. I, I would go <laughs> for Miss Deep from Read or Die. Okay. Now, Ladies um, and gentlemen... That reference was brought to you by the letter what? Oh, no. <laughs> um, hey, I'm going to open the soda real quick. I'm honestly not soda. all that familiar with uh, Phantom Girl. She's um, a girl. She's Yes. You know what you should do? You should go to majorspoilers.com. You should click on the top where it says Hero Histories. Uh, is I there one for have... Phantom Girl? Wait, is there one for each member of the Legion of Superheroes? Yes, and soon there will be one for every member of the Thunder Agents, and after that, I'm thinking I may actually do one for Maggot. Wow. Now that I would read. Um, Kitty Pride is, is, is an interesting character to me, because as, as the X-Men are written, um, like obviously I don't think writers go to meetings and agree on this, but it's weird how... Young characters are introduced, and some of them are decided to, you know, some sometimes they decide to keep them young, and sometimes they decide to grow them up. Right. Like, Jubilee, pretty much always young. Rogue grew up pretty fast, like she was a punk kid to begin with, but now she's, you know... 45. 20, well, 26, like every other X-Men. Oh, okay. Kitty Pride is one character, and, and it actually kind of bothers me, because I never know what Kitty Pride I'm looking at, where they decide to make her older and more mature, and then they kind of age her back to a kid, and then they go back to a little bit more mature. It just kind of depends on what the writer wants. Like they um, did with Franklin Richler, Franklin Richlords. In in a lot of <laughs> ways, usually if I pick up a book and it has Kitty Pride on it, I know that I might not like it. Really? Because I tend to not like the runs that she's in. And I don't know if it's that I just don't jive with writers who like Kitty Pride, or if I just haven't seen any Kitty Pride stories that I particularly like. So, not being terribly familiar with Phantom Girl and not liking Kitty Pride, I'm going <laughs> to default to Phantom Girl. <laughs> okay. All right, Matthew. Well, you know where my loyalties are. When it comes to Legionnaires, I can always see the awesome in a Legionnaire. I mean, Phantom Girl is one of those characters who, in the Legion, was kind of like... This is another one of my... Thing. So I'm going to digress for just a second. There was a super, super, super group of fans in the 60s who came up with astrological breakdowns of, you know, how do you do astrology if you're not born on Earth? And they actually went through and tried to figure out what sign each Legionnaire was. And they went through and they said that Phantom Girl is a Taurus because she's, you know, very down to Earth, very earthy. She's kind of sexy, but she's also very, you know, very thought provoking. She's the kind of person who gets straight down to business. My Phantom Girl memory is always, she cried when Wildfire died. That's my Phantom Girl memory. So I look at that and I go, oh, Phantom Girl's so adorable. For me, my Kitty Pride memory 
is probably the moment where she gutted Wolverine with a sword in Kitty Pride versus Wolverine. Not nearly as entertaining. Well, retro. I, I like to see people gutting Wolverine, but he got better. So all in all, I have to lean towards Phantom Girl because Phantom Girl, even in a group as huge as the Legion, always had a pretty consistent characterization. And as Rodrigo points out, Kitty Pride in a much smaller group, theoretically, had a less consistent characterization and about 15 different code names. So Phantom Girl gets the edge for a couple of reasons. Um, not one of the reasons are enormous holes in her, in her costume, which <laughs> I love what, I love what this gentleman has drawn, but they're not usually that large and sometimes they're spaced out a little more. So, uh, you don't necessarily get the full Tina if you see what I'm saying there. Matthew is, of course, referring to the uh, uh, image that we've put up on the Majorspoilers.com website depicting both well Kitty Pride and, and Phantom beautiful Girl. Beautiful images of both characters, I might yeah. add. Garrett, Garrett Blair is his name. So Very Matthew's nice going with uh, Phantom Girl. Sam Dunham yep. says, I voted for boobs, or I mean uh, Phantom Girl. Yeah, very funny, Sam. Get back to writing some movie reviews for us. Larry King says, I'm going to go give it to Kitty. <laughs> Larry uh, King not says, a- Boston, you're on the air. <laughs> not only has she played a more Chicago, integral part of the go. X-Men mythos, but she's cute as a button. Uh, Davik says, in the future, we will all dress like wars. Wait a minute. I think that's Dave K. Oh, okay. Um, and regular spoiler at Mila or Mila. I say Mila because it sounds cool. Her childhood hero versus Legion's cool friend with everyone. That's cruel, and I agree with her. She's going to vote Kitty simply because Tina seems to have an advantage because of the holes in her costume. <laughs> I like I like that. That that's a good point of view there. Rico says I love her in Ultimate Spider-Man, meaning Kitty Pride, uh, especially since I was right about her current role. So Kitty Pride all the way, and of course he's talking spoiler that she's the Red Hood in the uh, Ultimate Spider-Man series. <gasps> now let's and- all sit down and listen to Matthew rationalize on how we're all wrong and Phantom Girl is better. <laughs> well, I actually like the point that Brainy Pirate, one of our big Legion fans, says. In that particular picture, you look at Tina's costume and it looks like the stripper's version. Right. Both of these costumes kind of look like the naughty kitty pride that you see every Halloween <laughs> on like yeah, a yeah. website. So I love yeah. that. 71% of the vote right now voting X-Men sided. Uh, kitty pride up by oh, about two to one. And oh, yeah. I don't necessarily argue that people are wrong. There's a couple of reasons why. First of all, multiple reboots have led to some serious, you know, watering down of the legion and the legion mythos so of course i can see phantom girl hasn't really been a high profile character the last big phantom girl moment that i can remember was like issue three of the wkrp reboot when it was revealed she in the wkrp reboot doesn't phase back and forth between earth and bug tussle but actually exists in both continuities simultaneously Hmm. whereas i think Kitty had some sort of big death scene recently. I don't remember it. Somebody would have to be railing about it constantly for me to remember any details of it. Oh, okay. I think, she was, I, uh, I think she was shot. Something about bullets. But, I, I voted uh, for uh, Phantom Girl mainly because she's from the future, and she's probably bringing a lot more experience from the future. Future fighting. For probably probably she learned some... Future fighting. She probably learned some uh, moves from yeah. Karate Kid before he died again. Uh, so I'm, I'm going with uh, Phantom Girl. And but, 
But Major Steven, Kitty Pride was uh, trained by Wolverine, who is a cowboy, ninja, Viking, uh, samurai. Uh, Griffith Joiner, Kersey Cougar, Melanchthon. Future person. <laughs> uh, and also, listeners, I have mentioned to uh, our cosplay girl, Victoria, that she should consider Phantom Girl as a future outfit. Hmm. And I haven't shown I her this picture, that- but I have shown her the bell-bottomed, uh, you know, real costume that you see when you go and do a search for Phantom Girl. And she says she likes yeah. it, so you never know. We might see that in the near future as well. You know, I told and her that Victoria she should do Silver Banshee, and she... Uh... Oh, did she go for that or not? No, she didn't. Oh, okay. All right, everybody, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com, cast your vote for who would win in a fight, Kitty Pride or Phantom Girl. And we're going to listen to this caller's comments and be right back right after this. Hello there, this is Floppy, and I do have a question regarding critical hit, or actually, to be more specific, Torque. I was wondering if Torque himself happens to have any children. Uh, I am a teacher, as some of you may know, and I happened to see uh, two brothers, actually, today. They were doing some work together one six, and the other one's a little bit older. And I am certain that they have some kind of part work in them, especially when you're six years old and you're four and a half feet tall at uh, 105 pounds. Yeah, that's pretty big. I'm wondering if he has any half work in him, and, or three-quarter work in this case. If Torque has any children, please let me know. I noticed that the horns have not yet started growing out, but you never know. All right, thank you very much. I do look forward to your answer. Oh, thank you so much for that phone call. And listeners, remember, if you have a question or comment or thought that you want to contribute to the Major Spoilers podcast, all you have to do is contact us at our Major Spoilers hotline, 785-727-1939. So we've brought Torque in. From the uh, Critical Hit podcast, lumbering in and sitting down and uh, hopefully not crushing anything. Sorry, sorry, sorry about that statue. Yeah, that was a uh, uh, six-foot-tall Batman statue that's irreplaceable, so uh, thank you well, for that, uh, Torque. you know, uh, he's he, he wearing his underwear on the outside, so, so Torque, when you fix it, maybe you can put some pants on him. Torque, this person's maybe. calling in and asking, uh, do you have yeah. any children or do you have any little brothers or sisters that may also be kind of combination uh, human-orc? Uh, actually, I, uh, I in in orc in orc uh, kind of history, I am well recognized as an expert on child rearing. Uh, really? Uh, what? What? Yeah. When when you have an orc baby, there's two rules. Okay. Uh, rule one is uh, when you childproof the house, you also need to houseproof the child. <laughs> and rule number two is always wear your helmet. Uh, but, uh, I, I don't have any kids myself. Uh, I don't know if you understand or, or in orcish terms, I'm, I'm seven and a half, uh, years old. If you used to translate it, uh, uh, in dog years, I'm 47, but that's neither. All right. So, uh, Torque, you and Benjamin Spock, I suggest sit down and get together and have a conversation about the child rearing. I I love that episode where he did a little pinchy thing and and all the boys fell down. (laughs) Different kind of Spock. Different kind of Spock. You might want to go back and do some reading. Well, I don't know if you know this, but where I come from, it's the future and also the past. So, uh, (laughs) It's it's what we like to call knacker. knacker, Torque, uh, Torque, head, head back to the Critical Hit podcast and... Well, we'll uh, hope to see if you survive or not this weekend. Can, can, can you can you validate my parking? Uh, yes. Uh, see Dante on the way out, uh, please. Oh, okay. 
Dante's the one who what's is, is he? He's, in he's, that red he's the one what's that draws all the pretty pictures. He's the one who draws me. Yes, in pretty pictures. I need, uh, I think he's really, he's really. Uh, Rodrigo, really would you help him out the? Yeah, would you help him out the door? Him that way. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Torque Crickle Hit Podcast. Oh, thank you so much, and listeners again. Thank you for calling in and just, uh, uh, you know, throwing peanuts at the monkeys. Okay, so this week uh, we're going to be talking about gray shirt. Indigo Sunset, and to tell you the truth, I know nothing about Gray Shirt except for what I've read in this. So, Matthew, if you are here, if you're back from your restroom break, Hi. yes, can I you was give in us the restroom. Yes, we know. <laughs> we could hear the tinkle water in the background. Uh, if you could please give us a breakdown on who Gray Shirt is and Absolutely. where he came from um, and all this other great stuff. I need to start with a little background. Um, of course, I don't know if you're familiar with a man named Alan Moore. I'm vaguely familiar with his work. Alan Moore, of course, uh, did a movie called Watchmen. Also, I just saw Watchmen <laughs> yesterday, and I think I think we should reference it on the weekend show and get a All feeling right. for it because okay. it's been it's been six months since you guys saw it. He did uh, a lot of things that were very dark and very grown up in the early '90s, uh, around the year 2000. Alan Moore came to DC, a wild storm actually, um, and said, "Hey, I'd be happy to do a series of books." And what came out of this was America's Best Comics. Uh, books like Top Ten, Tom Promethea, Strong. Tom Strong, Tomorrow Stories. Tomorrow Stories had a rotating cast, and one of the characters was sort of a spirit pastiche, but more than that. But the, his basic influence was that Will Eisner spirit motif with a masked detective type and the people that he interacts with. And mm-hmm. throughout Tomorrow Stories, we never really found anything out about Gray Shirt except that He's pretty much the mysterious conscience of Indigo City. Ah, Indigo so, City. Very pulpy, very kind of shadow, Doc Savage kind of world. And it was interesting because Gray Shirt stories were very layered, and they weren't ever really about Gray Shirt. Kind of in the way the spirit tales were never really so much about the spirit after a certain point. Right. They were about... Telling a story with the spirit is kind of a vehicle. Yeah, there's a great moment in this uh, in this series that we that we read Indigo Sunset, where it's it's really well done. It's all done in shadows, and here's this mm-hmm. crook who has committed a crime or somebody who's committed a crime, and now yeah. he thinks that uh, Gray Shirt is after him, mm-hmm. and so he's yeah. running and trying to escape. And every time he turns around, he sees this statue, this uh, shadow of. Uh, <laughs> Of gray shirt, it terrifies him even more. Every time and he so turns a corner, he sees this punchline. Yes, and so eventually, what he does is he climbs up on this building and he falls to his death. And then it's revealed that this shadow that's being cast throughout the city is the shadow being cast by this statue of gray shirt that the city has erected. And people are complaining about the lights casting these shadows. So you know the criminal's own mind, and this is a story about the criminal, not about gray shirt. How his terror or his fear of being caught and punished by Grayshirt eventually leads to his demise, which kind of has a, I guess, a creepy stories, Twilight Zone type ending, you know, this submitted for mm-hmm. your approval kind of yes. thing. So I, I like that, yeah. and I, I think that's what what, uh, what you're getting at here, is there's really some different kind of storytelling going on. And with this particular series, this is the first time we really get into the background of the character, the background of who Gray Shirt is and how he came to be. And, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a really, from the very first issue, it's this really metatextual narrative because each issue starts with a cover 
and the cover isn't really tied to what's on the inside. And then we have The Adventure of Young Gray Shirt, which is the ongoing tale. The first one was in the style of the Little Archie stories called Little Gray Shirt. Well, but I think before that, and though, then, Matthew, you have to talk about the inside front cover, which is this black and white tale, which at first doesn't make any sense. You know, here's this uh, blind lady called Lady L working mm-hmm. this newsstand and... It's just these like little vignettes where you kind of see gray shirt appear and not appear. And as you read through these six issues, you're like, well, how the hell are these connected until you get about issue three or four? And you're like, holy cow. And then you get issue five when they figure it all out. And I love that bit. Yeah. And then you get into these little archy bits. But the the whole thing is it, it's really a comic book that's partly written because of, the structure and the history of comic books. Not necessarily, you know, costumed heroes or what comic books have become now, but, you know, having the story, the multiple stories in each issue, like the old anthology books, and having, right, right. you know, the weird crime superhero, almost sci-fi montage that's going on in the book, and just this whole thing where things are going on behind the scenes. There are things going on that we don't understand from the very first panel of this book that don't even make sense until the very end. Right. So we see in like in the first story, we see the mm-hmm. story of little um, Frankie and little Johnny. Um, Frankie Lafayette and uh, Johnny, Johnny Apollo. 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 Yeah. Right. And uh, turns out Johnny's mom is or not Johnny's mom. Frankie's mom is essentially hooked up with a big mobster as his uh, yep. mistress. And when, Carmine Carbone. When uh, they're sleeping it off, he goes in and steals the gun, and the two of them go off to their little clubhouse that they've built at an abandoned mine, and uh, talking about how they're going to start gangs and be gangsters and be these real toughs, and they're like, oh, what do you think uh, little Timmy over there thinks of that? And you see this this corpse that's just been desiccating, you know, it's just like a mummified corpse that's sitting there, and they're like, remember when we pulled Timmy out of the mine? That's the first what I call Rick Veach moment, and I don't know if it's pronounced Veach or Veach. I say Veach in my head because that's the way it looks. When you read a, one of Rick's stories, if you've read Brat Pack, which I think we're going to be getting to, if you've read yeah, one of those uh, times. The One, there's always a moment where it seems like you know where the story is going, and it makes sense, and it's normal, and you're like, oh, this is kind of going to be good. And then there's a dead kid on the mantle, and you're just, just like, what? And they're just like acting like nothing's going on. Huh? Yeah. And this is their life, though. Nothing is weird when it takes place in your own life. I, I like the fact that Frankie and Johnny, are you know, they want to grow up and be real tough guys, see? But in that very first story, they find out that something something weird is going on in the mines under Indigo City. Yeah, and we get this introduction to this story about this, I don't know, some creature something some spook story that parents tell their kids to keep them safe yeah. or keep them in good and and keep them in bed at the night lure. the lure the so lure rodrigo was referenced in tomorrow story oh wasn't okay so I rodrigo think. what is this lure i mean don't give the whole thing away throughout the end but mm-hmm. kind of fill us in especially in these first couple of issues of what we see with the lure yeah the lure is uh this mythical monster that you know some people believe in some don't that lives in the mines of indigo city indigo city was uh built um, on top of these uh, sapphire mines, right? Um, and a lot of it, a lot of the the under 
uh, passages of Indigo City are still these mines. So presumably something lives down there. And Frankie and Johnny in that first issue meet it. Um, yeah. It, Frankie spots It's really this, weird. Like yeah, a puppet. He spots like this puppet looking thing. And he's like, ah, oh, some kid must have left it there and grabs it. And what what I really liked it is like, oh, this feels weird. It feels kind of blue. Right. All <laughs> of a sudden, something happens where little uh, Johnny is like blue, blue, oh, yeah, Johnny. blue. And he gets yanked blue. into the mines. Mm-hmm. And of course, Frankie, their best friends, goes in after them. Well, in the meantime, Carmine... Mm-hmm. And uh, or the, is that his name, Carmine? Yeah. And uh, and the mom Carmine. wake up and they're like, "Oh my gosh, where's the boy? Where's the gun?" And then some hippie goes, "Oh, they always saw him go into the mines, man." And so Carmine takes his boys and they go into the mine looking for this thing. Yeah. Now we see it. it, it the lure turns out, and, and we re- kind of discover in this issue what it is. We don't know what it is, but it's this huge we tentacle arm. Yeah, it's this huge tentacle arm that sucks the lifeblood out of you. But Frankie's able to save Johnny. He shoots at the creature with that gun that he stole mm-hmm. and frees Johnny. Right. And uh, then, of course, the hoodlums come in there and all hell breaks loose as we look up through a giant mine shaft and we just see these tentacles wrapped all throughout the mine shaft. It is creepy, yeah. creepy, creepy. And it's beautifully done. It's If you look at the complexity of just that panel... Mm-hmm. I mean, how the first of all, the tentacle itself is heavily scaled and complex. And if you're looking up into the mine, there's this, you know, this whole thing with the 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 beams mm-hmm. making this kind of matrix. And then the matrix is all filled. Oh my God! I look at that and I'm just stunned. I, I have to sit there and imagine that Rick just spent hours on that one panel. Oh, I'm sure it's he did. Just that stunning. As a was anybody bothered by the lure? I mean, not bothered no, like, actually. I'm going to lay awake at night fearing the lure, blue, blue, blue. I kind of, the first time I saw this thing and kind of realized what it was as far as dragging the kids into the mine, the only thing yeah. I could think of was It, Stephen King's It, hmm. and how the clown would try to lure kids down into the into the sewers and turned out to be a giant spider. Right. Um, it's a you know, similar no, rhetoric, yeah. which you could then, then you could just shoot a rock at it, apparently, yeah. and kill this thing that's been around for a bazillion years. <laughs> well, the, the story needs to We have to, to believe that the rock <laughs> is made better yet. As, as too many Stephen King stories, <laughs> they simply end. That end. <laughs> and then the lamp monster went away. <laughs> so that was my first that kind end. of impression when I saw the lure, and I was just like, oh, okay. I'm not sure I like how this goes. But then we continue to hear... And this is the other kind of cool part about um, this series is once you're done with the story, the main story, then you get all these like newspaper articles. Mm-hmm. You get these little from uh, the Indigo yeah, Sunset. from the in- Indigo Sunset. You yep. get uh, comic strips. You get adventure stories about Gray Shirt. All of these other things that make this a really kind of a pulpy, you know, type story. All this mm-hmm. other stuff. And the cool thing is, uh, you know, a lot of the things that go on in these newspaper articles explain what you've read in the story. So there's a story in the first yeah. issue about the kids being taken down into the mine and how the mom is hysterical and da-da-da-da, and they try to dismiss it, and a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. And there's something interesting, too, about how the back cover and the front cover tied together, Matthew. Yeah. The 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 wonderful thing is that one of the stories in the Indigo City, uh, Barfant, the sunset, is always an explanation of what happens on the cover. The cover of the first issue is Gray Shirt getting beaten up by some guy at the printing plant while the newspaper is being printed. 
And in the very first page of the story, somebody's like, hey, the newspaper is late. Yeah, I right, heard there right. was some sort of fight. Right. And then this, the story in the Indigo Sunset always explains what happened on the cover, but it explains it to where it's almost like a third story in the issue. I guess where you my... see what happens on the cover, you read the, the little gray shirt story, you read the gray shirt piece, and then you read you know, the stuff in the back, and there's that little extra depth to it. Right. I guess I was disappointed because I'm like, okay, where the hell is gray shirt in all of this? I mean, yeah. he's in there in that one inside cover story for just a brief moment, and then you can read about his adventures later on. And then we get to the second issue called Young Gray Shirt in 1978, and it's a story yeah. about this girl called Jailbait hooking up with these older versions of Frankie and Johnny that we saw in the first issue. Rodrigo, you want to talk about the candy jailbait story? Yeah, she's, um, in this story, you were introduced to uh, Candace, who um, is this uh, nice kid. I don't know if she's actually from Queerwater, Kansas, <laughs> but they keep, they keep referencing Queerwater, I keep, Kansas. I keep wondering where Queerwater she's is. Do you know, Matthew? Is that just if you ever read the Jack... The Jack B. Quick backup stories and tomorrow stories. Yeah, he's from Queerwater, right? That also appeared. He's in from yeah. Queerwater, Kansas. It's yeah. actually uh, south of Wilson, which is also Smallville. Yes, a small okay. town of, of ninety thousand on the of course it Plains. Is. If gotcha. you go south of Wilson, I think you end up in a lake. Yeah, probably. no, if you, no, no you got to go north of Wilson. North of Wilson. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, anyway, back to Kansas. You go story. south of Wilson, um, you end up in. Um, I, I, I think an empty field. This girl from out of town comes in she's a goody two shoes but she kind of likes the bad boys she starts going out with the class president Pluto Plato Plutarch Plutarch um <laughs> which I, I honestly has to be a joke cuz I, I, I can't that's his name I, in the book I, I can't I can't imagine that he was like oh I'm going to make him sound awesome I will call him Plato Plutarch um, and of course, Pluto has his or Plato has his own ambitions. He's going to he end up running the city at some he's, point in the day. Someday he's going to run. He's going to run this town. See, and he's going to run all the it's gangsters really out of town that, eventually. Um, that Plato is a dog, whereas Goofy is also a dog, but he wears pants and no. Never mind. <laughs> I think you're thinking of Pluto. Um, so thanks for killing my joke, she, Uh She like gets with the class president, and then um, Johnny. Uh, kind of lures her away with a Tijuana Bible of all things, <laughs> which, which I found I to be that. kind of like, like I was reading that and I was like, I feel dirty all of a sudden because it's like, <laughs> hey, you want? Do you want to impress girls? Show them some hardcore porn and see how they react. Well, apparently she has a kind of a nine times out of ten they'll slap you, but that tenth time, oh boy, oh boy, you find a keeper. <laughs> yeah, that's a good old school girl Brian line from nineteen ninety two. She actually gets into that uh, into that comic book and has this nighttime vision of her older. And getting it on with Johnny mm-hmm. and seeing, I don't know, some guy with or Johnny with a fan in front of his face and the lure appears. And then, of course, she wakes up and suddenly she's a changed woman. Mm-hmm. Yep. She doesn't like the good kids anymore. No, no. She, wants she wears, to, she wears she tight shorts and, she, and fast cars. <laughs> fast shorts and tight weight. <laughs> That's right. Um, she's a bad girl, see? So she starts, she starts, she becomes uh, Johnny's girlfriend and starts rolling with Johnny and Frankie. Yes. Yep. And then, of course, uh, constantly getting themselves into trouble. And, of course, uh, Johnny wanting, you know, uh, candy, candy now. 
wanting the best of everything, insists that uh, Johnny buys her and buys her and buys her things. And of course, mm-hmm. he doesn't have the money, right? Uh, even though he's just stolen it from Carmine's uh, rival. What's his name? Spats. Spats Mascone. Spats Cats. Of course, Spats comes in and the beats the crap the out of him. The best part, though. The names are just wonderful. Spats Cats and Snots Lamonaco. I love the names throughout this game. Well, Spats ends up uh, beating the crap out of Johnny, sending him to the hospital, and taking candy. Mm-hmm. You know, essentially, we think kidnapping her. Oh, my goodness, her virtue is going to be taken by this criminally old man. <laughs> He's criminally old. <laughs> well, he is. In the hospital, uh, uh, Frankie wants to vow revenge, at which point uh, Plato uh, shows up and says, Hey, if we're going to go rescue the girl, uh, let me give you this gray shirt, this chain mail that I talked to you about in the first panel of this issue, if you were paying attention. <laughs> and uh, and so they don this, uh, this chain mail armor to go and rescue Candy, and they get up into the old man's hideout, and they try to rescue Candy. But what happens to this crazy girl? Um, she decides that she likes spats. He's gonna buy her things. Yes. So she actually ends up clocking Frankie over the head, um, with like a pipe or something. Yeah. And yeah. as they're trying to rescue her, and uh, Pluto actually wait, Plato actually has to uh, drag him <laughs> out. It's uh, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, Matthew. I, I referenced creepy tales, you know, earlier the strange tale stories that we saw in the in the 50s and 60s, where everybody kind of got their comeuppance in a strange way. Isn't that kind of what... Is that what you get from some of these stories that we have in here, especially with the swipe story oh, absolutely. that follows on with that? And It's interesting to me in that they're telling one story in each issue, but the stories are also showing us the events that lead up to Gray Shirt. Right. Which, you know, it, it coming out of the Tomorrow Story shots, the Tomorrow Story's bits were specifically designed to ape those kind of stories that aren't really about gray shirt, but Spats cats appears in those stories and all these mm-hmm. characters show up. One thing that, you know, during this big fight, we see Frankie for the first time borrow Plato Plutarch's, uh, armor, right? Plutarch is a, is a history buff and he has this chainmail armor that, uh, the gray shirts of history used to wear into battle. Mm-hmm. So Frankie Frankie borrows this armor for the first time in this particular story, which of course is you know an important step in eventually becoming the science hero gray shirt. So well, I mean, and 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 we don't know even know at this point, and I don't know if it's even. I mean, you start to say, oh, so Frankie is gray shirt, but yeah. you really don't know because the stories jump back yeah. and forth in time with every story that you go to. In fact, when you get to the second story in this issue, swiped, uh, it's all about a story set in the I guess present time. Mm-hmm. Where there's this pop culture guy, uh, you know, doing these paintings where he's ripping off uh, from this other comic book artist, and mm-hmm. it's sto- telling stories of Johnny and Frankie as they're older, and they're both still criminals. Mm-hmm. And so you're thinking, mm-hmm. okay, well, if they're both still criminals and they're popular criminals in the city, there's no way that Frankie can be gray shirt. Maybe it's it's Plato. Maybe it's something else. Maybe mm-hmm. we don't know what's going on. I like the swipe story a lot as well. It's candy. <gasps> I like the swipe story, and it's the story of a mobster who really likes, um, well, what is this guy's name? Pow Art. Pow Art, yes. He really likes his style and wants more paintings. Problem is, the guy's projector is broken down, and he needs some help from the original artist. 
Uh, and so the original artist comes in and they start working on these pop culture things. And the uh, um, pow art guy is always like, oh, you can't mix the flesh tones mm -hmm. right. You can't do this right. And the uh, original artist is just kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever, kid. And is doing all the work mm -hmm. so that they both Ooh. don't get killed from these mobsters. And uh, in the end, they get their comeuppance again. You know, there's a big fight, a big brawl. Um, the comic book artist finally has had enough and is about ready to kill uh, the pow art guy. And suddenly the mm -hmm. mobsters come in with gray shirt and all hell breaks loose. They start shooting the pow art guy, hides behind a one of his canvases, I guess thinking that that's going to protect him. And uh, one of the hoodlums fires a gun and it goes right through, metatextually, a painting yep. of a guy that's being shot. And then, of course, the painting starts to bleed, and we realize that the power art guy was yeah. behind it getting killed, and Gray Shirt's only comment was, but, that's kind of fitting for his kind, or something along that lines. What, what's really interesting, and the thing that I'm sure most people would never have gotten, the old-school comic artist, this whole story is drawn by Russ Keith, who is an old-school comic artist. Right. The image, the, the face of the character, the old-school comic artist, Mm-hmm. Is in fact Russ Heath drawing. <laughs> That's cool. Russ okay, drawing himself. That's really cool. So he's he's essentially drawing himself in as the old school artist who goes through this whole thing, which I think is just beautiful. You know, if you if you look at it, it's obviously him throughout the panel, and they reference the whole. I believe it was Roy Lichtenstein, right, who made money just drawing these giant panels. So I love the fact that. This has so many levels. You can just look at it and read it as a story of, okay, this is how this happened, and here's a cool crime story. But it's also a cool crime story based on something that really took place. And it also has that little twist at the end, and it's also got that moment of, oh, ha, ha, some guy drew himself as the artist, you know? Mm -hmm. There are so it's many levels of this. It, goes, it continues to go on and on and on throughout the series. We start into issue three. We start out again with the black and white story of this uh, uh, mentally challenged person delivering papers door to door and these two scumbags inside who are going to rape her. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Grayshirt yep. comes and saves her and says, Candace, you know, you have to be careful. Don't let people go on. I'm here to protect you, but do watch out. Mm -hmm. And, of course, yep. she's like, you know, those Indigo are very City bad breeds boys. bad boys. Yeah. And then we get this. Uh, this was my favorite story of the entire Six issue arc when uh, Fat Quentin Tarantino <laughs> takes us through these yes. uh, this narrative. Yes, of who killed Hoodlum Hit, uh, <laughs> and I was trying to figure out who this was supposed to be. Is that who you took it as, Quentin Tarantino? Uh, when I saw it, I I was like, that guy really like when when I first saw it, I was like, is that supposed to be Quentin Tarantino? Because you know, kind of has that Quentin yeah. Tarantino I, chin I took it and as, weird hair. I took it as Matthew. Circa 1991 in college. <laughs> His hair's too short. Well, well yeah, with a haircut a and a pair of black sunglasses. Here. Okay. If you look at his character, mm -hmm. his T-shirt bears the label of um, Rick Vietch's Comic Company, mm -hmm. as seen in the Brat Pack series. Right. And I look at this, and I'm looking kind of, and I'm wondering, is this, the you know, the artist on the Russ Heath story was supposed to look like Russ Heath. Mm-hmm. This could be, it actually looks like a couple of people. I mean, it looks a little bit like Denny O'Neill. Yeah, that's who I thought it was. Or, yeah, I thought it was Denny O'Neill. This could be a representation of Rick himself as the writer of the story 
mm-hmm. writing a story about a writer of a story who then wrote a story in the middle of our story. Right. Now, if you can say that five times fast, I'll buy you a beer. And this story takes place a little bit before the previous story in Swiped because the yep. cartoonist is back and he's still working for Hoodlum Hitman Comics. And uh, the editor of the comics gets this phone call from a mysterious voice who wants to reveal all the true details about what went down with Frankie, Johnny, and uh, Carmine. And uh, she warns him, hey, if you're not careful, you're going to get killed. You need to get this depressed before people find out or you're going to get killed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Turns out that uh, Johnny, not a good guy. No. Plans to double-cross Carmine, plans to steal candy, or ends up banging candy uh, under... uh, under the nose of uh, Spats, Spats Cats, when he's out of the room, they're getting it on. Those two come up with a plan to, hey, let's uh, let's knock the old man off. Let's do it. And, uh, uh, you know, I guess, uh, is it, do you think it's Carmine's groups or Spats's group that finds out about about this story that's being played oh, out? Oh, it's, it's uh, Spats, because it's Johnny himself. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, Johnny in, in an attempt to get rid of Carmine... Um, Frankie takes Johnny and Carmine to the abandoned mine and caves the mine in on him. Mm-hmm. At which point, again, yeah. we see the lure make an appearance. Lure. Frankie gets away, obviously. But it's apparent that, uh, that things are not going good. Mm-hmm. And so the comic book writer in his narratives is saying, hey, okay, I'll, I'll tell this story. And then a mysterious package arrives. He thinks it's his art. And, and what happens, yeah. Matthew? Kablamicus. Kablamicus, of dead. course. And we've and been he's seeing been his ghost. Narrating the whole story from beyond the grave. Ooh, ah! And I I just love that story, how that ending is. Oh, you're really dead and you're a ghost and you're telling us this story and mm-hmm. you're gonna continue to haunt the abandoned building of, of Hoodland Hitman. Mm-hmm. And uh Hoodlum Hit. Yes, Hoodlum Hitman Comics. And then, of course, this issue also <laughs> contains that shadow story that I alluded to earlier, mm-hmm. which I really liked how they, they told that story. I didn't. You didn't? How come? Oh, man. Go back and read. Oh, well, the, the it's full of purple prose, right? Oh, I mean, it is Lord. just, the writing is over the top. It's done in that very pulpy, mm-hmm. you know, narrative of he got what he deserved. Yeah, and, he, da, I just... da, da, da. and I just thought it was so funny. But the fact that we're telling it from just the point of view of only seeing shadows. Yeah, it was really well drawn. I really liked the way that it was drawn. But, like, I just couldn't get over the text boxes. And e- even if it's I supposed to be a joke and it's... voice inhaling light with the death rattles of dying stars. The inky depths of indigo quaver hopelessly like a fetid, airless Calcutta lockup. <laughs> exactly. You know what you do if you want to write like this? You write what you want to say, and then you go through and you use your built-in Adjectives. thesaurus. Yes, to change all of, all of the words. To that's what you do. I, that's all you have to do. The really, that's what you have has to do. Led into the night. So, Matthew, tell us about the ballad of Frankie and Johnny, and what's going on in the black and whites and the backups. Uh, why don't you kind of wrap up the rest of the uh, four, three issues, four, five, and six, for us? I don't and if wanna. there's anything okay. that stands out. Yeah, we're running close on time, so we want to make sure we get through I this. I know. The Ballad of Frankie and Johnny is another entertaining piece, and it, it's kind of starting to come together by issue four, that certain characters that we know 
aren't what they seem. Lady L, the news vendor, may be more than she seems. Right. And this mysterious old man who keeps, you know, almost but not quite getting rolled for his social security check. And, you know, the girl that you mentioned, the mentally challenged girl who delivers the newspapers, things are more than they seem. The Ballad of Frankie and Johnny is the story of another woman who ends up betraying Frankie and kind of leads him closer and closer to becoming gray shirt. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting to note that it's not really until Johnny really turns on him that Frankie gives up crime. Yes. You know, there's somebody makes a reference when talking about the, the hoodlum hit comics that he liked Frankie better because Frankie seemed to be in it for the adventure. Mm -hmm. Whereas Johnny seemed to be a generally a bad kid. So, I mean, we go through and someone is kidnapping these odd characters from around Indigo City. And we get another piece of, of backstory where we explain how Frankie met his sidekick, Rocky. Mm -hmm. I love Rocky, by the way. Rocky is a character who, for some reason, walks around uh, dressed like like he's some sort of religious penitent. Mm -hmm. And he talks kind of like Apu from The Simpsons. <laughs> and one of my favorite bits in the whole thing is they come back to the offices of Hoodlum Hit Comics years later. Frankie, Frankie's on the run, and one of Johnny's guys chases him to Hoodlum Hit Comics, and all of a sudden the writer appears again. And the writer starts narrating it, and he finds an issue of Hoodlum Hit Comics, and it distracts him long enough for him to get killed. And then the writer is interacting directly with the story, talking about how he, you know, he likes Frankie better, and that's why he, as a ghost, protected Frankie. And it's, I mean, it, did I just blow your mind? There's a lot, a lot of deep levels to this story, and, and that's, I think, part of the fun is... Oh, tying yeah. it all together from issue to issue and jumping back and forth from the story. And clearly by the yeah. time we get to issue five, where um, Frankie yeah. and Johnny go into the um, the city services building that's now kind of a gas warehouse, uh, that mm -hmm. it's clear that this is – that Frankie is a gray yeah. shirt. Mm -hmm. And of course Frankie there's a big is fight. gray shirt. And Johnny is crazy. Not just crazy, like BS crazy. Like OBF crazy. He he is three uh, turns off plump. He's like one picnic basket or one uh, sandwich short of a complete picnic basket. He's the, like one boo-boo short of a picnic done, basket. <laughs> exactly. The cheese done fell off of Johnny's cracker. Let's put it that He is running on a lean mixture. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Johnny may not have all the sails up when he's trying to go on his boat. Speaking of sailboats, there's a Frank Cho story in here that's just adorable. Oh, man. Was that not good? I, you know, I forgot. I was reading through the um, description of the, of the series, and I missed that last line where it said, art by all these other people, including Frank Cho. And I get to this pirate girl story mm -hmm. about this crazed, yeah. uh, insane kind of you might think of Bill Gates' uh, rich computer software guy who decides he's going to yeah. live out crazy adventures. And I'm looking at these images going, this is Frank Cho artwork. This is These women are way too yep. hot to be in a comic book. And then I flip back and I'm like, art by Frank Cho. Yep. Awesome. Yep. And that story also reminds me of heavy metal, specifically the B-52 mm -hmm. uh, segment of heavy metal where mm -hmm. they get their comeuppance and then all of a sudden they get to the end and you realize that, oh, the dead rise, the dead live. But that's not the best part of issue six, although that is quite an awesome story. A is it the, be, is the story. best part the part where we find out that the old codger is really Carmine 
and the Lady L is his his old mistress. It really and the, flips, yep. And the mentally and challenged the girl. girl is is uh, yep. is their daughter. Mm-hmm. And if you'd read issue five, there's a scene where she's in the do- in the doctor's office, going, "Oh, I'm keeping the kid. Uh, uh, there's nothing I can do. I don't know what to do." And the doctor's like, "Well, for one thing, you can stop drinking and smoking because that can lead to Down syndrome." Mm-hmm. And then it suddenly clicks. Yep. Ah, the daughter. Mm-hmm. Ah, yep. So basically, all these strange characters are Grayshirt's family. But nobody knows who Grayshirt is except for Johnny, Johnny. Apollo. And, and wait a minute, wait a minute. Mysterious, what? There's, there's two other people that know who Grayshirt is. Candace, Ooh. who's in jail, who's on death row, about to be uh, executed that night. And, uh, uh, and our good friend Plato, who, who, as it turns out, did become mayor of Indigo City. Mm-hmm. Mayor Plato Plutarch. So Fine, they kind of know who care. he is. Yeah. No, but we also find out who this mysterious fan man is that's been capturing them, rounding up well, the family of course, members. If the, if the hero is Frankie, who is the villain going to be? Uh, the producer of this show called The Cabrones. <laughs> the Carbones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's Cabrones, by the way, is entirely uh... different. Who's uh, afraid that if my mom's not listening? <laughs> Who's afraid that if uh, that if Grayshirt comes out? Is, oh, you see honky flash. <laughs> uh. Who uh, you know Johnny has it in his head that if the people who the TV series is based on find out it's based on them that they'll come to him and want all the money because of he's the producer mm-hmm. and so his idea is let's just kill them all you know let's kill them all including Grayshirt let's drive them down into the mine and let the lure take care of them. Except, Grayshirt shows up. Yep. And Grayshirt ruins everything. And oh my God, is Frankie not the freakiest thing you've ever seen? We discover that there has been a symbiotic connection between the lure and uh, Johnny since it first captured him. And because because Frankie broke that connection, Mm -hmm. the only antidote is for the lure to eat Frankie. But if the lure devours Johnny like he wanted to, it'll kill the entity. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Yep. Well, but, your explanation of but, it makes sense. But in the story, Johnny has essentially become the lure and has pretty much got control of, over this alien monster that was impregnated onto the planet many years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> give us the big ending, Rodrigo. Okay. So, um, Grayshirt's family is is taken in a van deep into the mine so they have to bust out you know carmine who's been in this drunken stupor um snaps out of it and him and lips start driving out as they're driving out of the mine you know they they manage to see because you know we cut away from the uh gray shirt versus lure johnny fight right um we see the lure just go and eat um gray shirt shirt, right um at which point everything blows up because I think actually Carmine and Lips set things up to blow up or something. No, no, it's the creature blew up or the creature dies, and because the entire city uh, is has all the mine shafts uh, underneath right, it, right. the mine shafts start collapsing, right? And thus parts of the city start because falling the apart. Creature's been holding up the city. Yeah. So Lips and Carmine make it out. Um, the newspaper girl had made it out previously, right? So Grayshirt's family survives. Unfortunately, it appears that Grayshirt didn't. And as we're sort of panning away from the scene, we see Fan Man. We see uh, 
the what what Johnny has been wearing this like weird uh, octopus button, uh, yeah, button up shirt with right. a, with like this, this kind of weird sun mask yeah yeah um, in front and we're trying to figure out what happened and as it turns out as you know he removes one of the fans it's not Johnny it's Frankie it's gray shirt yep. he knocked out Johnny switched clothes and it was long you know and and it's uh, Mad rage, the lure couldn't tell the difference, and ate Johnny, thus killing itself. <laughs> the yeah. end. The end. Okay, so... But it ate um, its own tail. And everybody thinks that Frankie is dead. Yep. yep which, everybody thinks that Greyshirt's dead. Right, which allows us, I guess, to tell the further adventures of Greyshirt had the series not been canceled. Yeah. The uh, series was unlimited so much, series from the beginning. Stephen. So much... So much spirit references to the point where, you know, this lure is the octopus, right? You never see his face. You never saw his face in the spirit comics. All you saw were these white gloves. Here's Johnny. We never see his face because he's covering it with a fan. And all we see is these white gloves. The whole, in fact, there's, I think, one issue where they actually made the building spell out something. Mm -hmm. uh, which is Oh, yeah, it's entirely to the spirit. spirit reference. Spirit I, I like that. I like that a lot. I want to find out what you guys didn't like about the series as a whole. Rodrigo? Here's what I didn't like about the series. Um, the series. Here's, here's my problem with it. In issue five, you go, whoa, whoa, man, it's all connected and that's awesome. But I had to sit through four freaking issues <laughs> of what I thought was going to be high-flying vigilante action and turned right. out to be a crime comic. Now, right. I right. get it. There's stuff in there. It's important. It all comes together. It's all great. If I had been picking this up at the stands, I would have stopped that issue two. I would have yeah. actually probably not picked up issue two. I echo every point you've made exactly. I probably, after issue one, I was like, where the hell's Grayshirt? What what's going on? I thought these were going to be stories about Grayshirt, and I don't see Grayshirt anywhere. And and here's here's the thing, if you know, just to make a, a very obvious and broad example, if this had been Batman or Spider Man or any character that's already established, and it's like, well, here's stories of how you know, uh, Black Canary became Black Canary. It doesn't matter anybody. Then it's like, okay, well, I know what the end product's going to be. But going into this, I didn't even know who Gray... I mean, it's like, here's all the things that make Gray Shirt who he was. That's great. I have no idea who Gray Shirt and is. I have no idea what Indigo City is because we have not read, you know, the entire piece. This is kind of maybe the problem that you guys had when we did um, Surrogates. Mm -hmm. Is we were technically reading the story that led up to yeah, the first book, even exactly. though it was the second volume. And that's kind of how I felt in this. And, and one last thing is that after the first issue... And I'm sure it was fantastic, and I'm sure it gives you lots of delicious little tidbits of information. I did not read the newspapers. I never read cause, them because I'm about I'm about done with that style. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was like it made Watchmen so much more interesting and better to read those little articles. Mm -hmm. And it was like these like glorious little glowing bits of information about the characters and about their personalities and their personal lives and what actually happened to them or what may have happened to them that nobody knows about. After, you know, we saw it in Surrogates that we mm -hmm. read. We've mm -hmm. seen it in a couple other places and I'm just like, you know what? This device seems a little tired to me and I just kind of didn't bother with it. I never read any of the, of the backup material because A, I didn't think it was 
really integral to the story, which is this mistake I made the first time I read Watchmen, mm -hmm. is that I didn't read it until after I went back to it because, quite frankly, I was up until 2 o'clock in the morning last night trying to get through all these so that yeah. we could have a discussion today. And so I was trying to get to the meat of the piece. Um, I like the fact that, you know, like I said, it references the creepy tales and the and the Twilight Zone kind of stuff and the spirit and all that, but it's a lot to get through for you to finally make that connection, just like you said, Rodrigo, that everything is connected. Matthew, was there anything you didn't like about this series? Nope. I kind of figured this was a Matthew recommendation, and uh, we all read it. This was a Matthew recommendation. Well, I will tell you what I did like about it. Okay. First off, Rick Vietch and Orvich is, and I mean this with the absolute utmost respect, he is one of comics' great Looney Tune minds in that his stories always feel like the equivalent of writing in Archie's jalopy. But if you were to actually look under the hood, you would find an incredibly perfectly tuned machine. And, you know, being in, I knew what the whole gray shirt thing was about, and I knew what to expect in that all of the America's best comic stories were an attempt to try and catch some of the past, some of the history of comics, and not so much feed right. into the we are all costumed heroes, look at us, we are X-Men, and we are young and beautiful and have problems. Right. It was an attempt to try and, you know, catch something different in comics. So, you know, this was very pulpy, very oriented towards the pulps and old, old issues of things like the spirit, and even references to, like, Little Archie that I'm sure is oh, yeah, yeah, years yeah. out. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a story that was intentionally put together. And I think the way that it works, the way it really I think the word is obliquely um, tells the story that it's trying to sell is fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me to watch this and and deconstruct it and put it back together and go, oh, so that's what that meant. It's kind of like the movie Memento in that. Right. You right. start fully formed at the end of the story. Mm -hmm. Bam, you know, first issue, you open that first issue, the cover is gray shirts having a fight with a mean guy with a wrench, grr. but you never really see that in the issue. Right. And that to me is one of the real wonders of it. The way the story is told is so atypical and the way that everything builds together and everything matters, even the silly cartoons in the back, even the little bits where they're like, you know, here's a, a, a half page prose text piece about something in the Indigo City stories about hey, you know, there's this thing called the lure. There's stuff in those text pieces, in those comic pieces. There's stuff in the Indigo City Sunset stories that references things that we don't see until issue four, five, six of the book. Right. So, it, you know, if you read it and you read everything, like I'm going to, this is probably my new catchphrase. I read this in the individual issues as it came out. Oh, so Matthew each Spillick. month, <laughs> each month I, I read this and I'm like, oh, wow, this is neat. But there's this weird niggling reference in the back that didn't make any. Oh, right. And the next issue comes out. Right. You kind of have to you have to be in a specific mindset to read the spirit mm -hmm. or Doc Savage or something like that. And you really have to put yourself in that mindset and you have to put yourself in a thought process to really enjoy Gray Shirt. So. One of the reasons that I recommended it was I didn't necessarily think you guys would like it. I didn't necessarily think you guys would 
and I know this sounds arrogant, necessarily get it because it's not the kind of story that you just jump in and go, oh, this is going to be awesome because it is maddening when you get yep, to about that's right. Three. We didn't get it. You know what I mean? Well, there's no, a problem I mean, with things. I, you know, I get it. I get it. And I enjoyed it. And I liked it. Uh, I thought you had to get through, in my mind, you had to get through three issues before it really started to go, ah, yes, now I see mm-hmm. where this is all leading. And there were a lot of um, foreshadowing moments throughout the piece. And there were a lot of, hey, just like you said, memento pieces of let's tell this part and then jump back and explain it. So I get all that and I enjoyed the story and I enjoyed the references and the and the way that they're telling the stories. And I enjoyed the pulpy parts and I enjoyed all the other stuff. I just think... You have to be a particular type of person to enjoy this stuff. Mm. You have to be somebody that likes the Doc Savage and the Spirit and the Shadow and all the other pulpy heroes. You have to like crime comics. You have to know what a Tijuana Bible is. You have mm. to know creepy and yep. the eerie tales kind of stuff. It is you, kind of a it is kind of a thinking man's comic. It is, but I didn't I didn't yeah. mind it. I mean, I liked it. It was not as thinking man as maybe Grant Morrison's run on Batman from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was. I thought I thought it was a really good comic that being said i'm giving this some uh, check it out at your library rating you know matthew i think says go out and buy it i'm saying you might want to read it at the well, library before you invest your money and perish forbid i get to say that you know just make, <laughs> while you're up can you write my next well, I couple think it's, reviews i think it's do? uh i think that it's a pretty parent when i say do you have any problems with it? and you're like nope uh, so, well, we had spent a, you and I, I spent about twenty minutes bashing it before yeah, we went to yeah. Matthew. But Rodrigo, this is my recommendation. So naturally, I'm going to like it. But here's something for you that I want you to think about. Halfway through issue one, we get that moment where Frankie and Johnny are like, "Who was that old guy?" As as Carbone drives away, Frankie's like, "I don't know, some friend of my mom's." Yeah. And in the last issue. You know, Lips and Carmine and their daughter are reunited, and Frankie is seemingly dead. So he can't really participate in the closest thing to a normal family that anyone he has ever known is ever going to have. So you go back and you look at that, and you're like, wow, that panel really, I mean, has a completely different resonance now, knowing what we know at the end. It's, I mean, it's something when you, when I read a comic written by this particular writer, um, and I believe we're going to be doing, again, I said this before, Brat Pack in the near future, another recommendation of mine. You have to get into, you know, a particular mindset, as you said. I knew what to expect from Rick Vich when I came into this. I read virtually everything the man writes. So I knew where this was going and how it was going to get there. You know, it wasn't a question of, of me being snotty and going, you guys simply don't understand good literature. Go back to your maggot and your Batman. <laughs> but more of a sense of this is this is a good place to step into where Rick's mind is because when we get into Brat Pack, there I mean there's no turning back. Hey, that rhymes. But also so, this is a this is a wonderful series if you want to just you know I I complain about writing for the trade. If you want to read a series that wrote for the trade and did mm-hmm. it in a way that is just exactly right, this is a book to pick up. Now I, I would agree with you. Actually, I would say you might want to you, you might want to sample it first because this is yeah. not for everybody. This there, this is the comic book equivalent of you know maybe goose liver pate. You're going to enjoy the it, art, I think, throughout. I think you're going to enjoy oh, the story yeah. if you stick through it. And like I said, if you're a fan of all those other things I talked about, 
I think you're going to enjoy it tremendously. Rodrigo, what is your recommendation? Um, I think that, you know, in the end, I think Grayshirt is really a detailed, loving, thorough, very deep treatment of a character I don't care about. <laughs> but that doesn't make it any less good of a treatment of that character. Right. I just, in the end, it just kind of didn't do it for me. Um, I would say definitely if you spot it in your library, give it a chance. It it does do one fantastic thing, which is it's a crime story. It's it's a crime drama that prominently features a space alien. Yes. And incorporates it beautifully. <laughs> and it's a crime story where the it, person that's a bad element actually turns out to be a good element in yeah. there too. So. Right. so just for it's, that, it's, a crime it's, story it's worth flipping through. Yep. yep, and it and his alien. rival ends up being a space monster. Yeah. So as far as that also, goes, it's also a touching story of lost youth and a story of a family reunited, and a story of why you should be nice to people when you're growing up. Yeah. Well, and the one thing that was missing a was a why uh, it would be good to have a manservant in a loincloth. The the one thing that was missing was a Julius's a uh, um, briefcase where you open it up and it glows inside. That was the only thing that I was missing. So, Anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Head over to Majorspoilers.com. Check out uh, everything that's part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, will we be number one? Will we be number two? Will we be number six? We're going to find out as we take a look at The Prisoner. Why? Well, number one, somebody recommended that we review something related because to the prisoner we in the want show. Information. And because we know that you love comics and we do too, we will talk with you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers Forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's Ray Vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such a chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Star Raven reads like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the hard cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. Major spoiler.
Podcast, copyright 2010.